0: that's something I do appreciate about midwifery care is how individualized it can be you know and Mm -hmm. I think that that's the approach that I take with my clients you know while trying to keep everyone safe there's a lot of different options so it's all about what do you want to do at this point in time you know we're 41 weeks Mm -hmm. you're cool you want to keep waiting you know everything's looking good no you want to do some castor oil nudge things like it's it's really about what what path do they want to go down there and I'm there walking with them.
1: My name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession.
0: Hey, y'all. I
1: am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and
0: the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love. Nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife RX. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Hello, beloved community. This is Angie Love coming to you from Florida. I'm really excited about today's podcast. I have a dear friend, Rachel, that's on here with me. So let's get started. My name is Angie Love. I'm a nurse midwife. I have a home birth practice here in Florida, and I also do telehealth in Florida and Utah with Midwife Rx. Um, the land that I'm living on is formerly the Ais uh, people, and my pronouns are she and hers. Take it away, Rachel. You want to tell us who you are?
1: Okay, yeah. My name is Rachel Cornette Olson. I am A CNM as well, but I was originally trained as a CPM, and so I started with home birth, and then uh, kind of got more medical. But I'm always like backing out of it, uh, you know, going in ebbs and flows of how how medical do I, you know, want to be. But um, I had a private practice in San Antonio, Texas, doing home birth and holistic gynecology and women's health, and then a couple years ago we moved to Vermont, um, where we live on Abenaki land. And, um, the population is just so small that I'm doing almost hundred percent telehealth except for, I miss working in, you know, with people in person. And so I also just picked up one day a week in a clinic that does PRP and stem cells for joint regeneration, which is pretty cool. And I never, ever thought I'd be doing anything like that because as a midwife, Like I went to school, I went to nursing school with the intent of I'm going to be doing birth work and work with moms and babies. And I didn't really care about bones and joints, but, uh, yeah, it's been really fun to learn a lot. So that's, um, something I'm doing one day a week as well. Nice. That's Thursdays, right? Yep. That's Thursdays. And then six days a week, every day, but Thursday I also, uh, staff, the midwife RX for Angie for Texas. And theoretically, Vermont, however, the laws in Vermont are so good that I feel like midwives don't need me here. So uh, yeah, I do a lot of um, prescription care for out-of-hospital birth midwife clients in Texas.
0: Okay, wonderful. Um, Well, something you'll be interested to hear is that I just went to the ACNM conference in Orlando uh, Mm -hmm. last weekend. It was so amazing being with all those sister midwives, learned a lot, a lot of CEUs. And one of the guys that got up to speak, um, his name was Daniel, and he's announced on his resume of other things that he does that he was a couch surfer.
1: Ah, that's awesome. I love and that he put that up there. That's amazing.
0: He's like the ambassador for Indiana. So I'm oh like, that's God. awesome. So I went and talked to him afterwards. But for anyone who doesn't know, that is originally how Rachel and I met. Mm -hmm. um via the couch surfing website back in the day that was 2009 long time ago before either one of us had any babies yeah and I was traveling I was taking sabbatical and I was in New Mexico and I was staying um at a place and there was Rachel and we started talking got to know each other yeah
1: I was like uh yeah living in Santa Fe and was a labor and delivery nurse my first job out of nursing school. I had um, graduated from nursing school and didn't really want to work in the hospital. So I had worked at a birth center on the border of Texas and New Mexico and then, or volunteered there because this was 2008 and there were no, there were actually no jobs even in healthcare. It was like a crazy time. And then I was able to get my first like sort of maternity related job in uh, Española, New Mexico and was living in Santa Fe. And it was like couch surfing was this big thing this uh way to meet people from around the world and also just people having potlucks and couch serving parties it was so fun mm-hmm. so yeah Angie came through and stayed with us and I was like oh, you're a midwife tell me about your life I want to be like you so that was definitely part of my journey just yeah with midwives doing cool things
0: that seems like so long ago seems like oh, another yeah. another lifetime ago right yeah yeah. And that was a wonderful stay for me and I remember there was some doctors that were there and like one of them took me to the feast days on the towels reservation and I got to see like the inside workings there and that was that was a blessing.
1: Yeah, it just me so to also think about because there was like just cool young
0: medical people doing
1: interesting things I mean kind of like honestly living how I live like how can I work as little as possible so that I can play as much as possible like live in a place where there's lots of outdoor recreation and so yeah that doctor actually he became an Ayurvedic practitioner and now he has I'm like maybe he should be on this podcast maybe (laughs) he should I don't think he does too much with women's health and you know birth but he does have a kid now and uh he has like an integrative practice doing Ayurveda and medicine, but of course, leaning really into the you know natural medicine of Ayurveda. Um, but yeah, I just love meeting smart people doing good work in the world that are also like really playful. And, uh, that's not, that's not their life because of course, many doctors and, you know, midwives and, just medical people, even though I don't think of, uh, midwives as medical people necessarily,
0: but you know, it can just take over your entire life. So, um,
1: oh, to be like 25 to 35 again.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I think it's a good point that we always need to keep a good work-life balance. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to tell our beloved audience about your um, path through midwifery? Sure.
1: Yeah. So it, I feel like so many midwifery paths are just unique and interesting, but I do feel like mine was like unusual in that I just was getting my hair done at a place called the G-Spot in Iowa City, which is like a hip, you know, funky place in the Midwest. And uh, I was in a hair show. So I was, they were like, Rating colorful stuff into my hair, and there was a mid. So, like the point being, I was there for a long time, and there was a midwife next to me getting her hair colored, and so both of us were there for a long time. And I was studying international studies, getting my bachelor's, and she was talking about a home birth she had recently attended, and I was like,
0: "Tell me everything.
1: Like, I've never heard of this. I didn't know this was like 2005. I just like didn't know this was." a thing anymore and i'd always been really interested in health um and just always it was just something i read about and just was very you know interested in doing differently than what mainstream seemed to be offering um and so i just sat with her and it turned out that she was good friends with robin Lim, who has the birth center in bali indonesia and because i was studying international studies she was like hey I bet you could get some money from your program and go to my friend's birth center. And of course, I didn't even know who Robin Lim was at that time. I had never even really thought of a midwife in a uh, modern context. <laughs> and so I go there and, uh, like, so I, I did. I got a grant from my international studies program and spent 10 weeks in Bali, Indonesia, at her birth center. And this was like way before it became this like yoga paradise, this like resort land. And I'm grateful for that because I got to see it and not really. Just like a different state um, than it is now. And so yeah, that just like cracked my world wide open because I had never, I didn't even know what a naturopath was, or I never really gotten, I think I had gotten acupuncture actually once for my neck for an injury, but um, you know, they were only using herbs and natural modalities and, you know, stuff like Reiki and angel healing and just stuff that i have never heard of before. And so it absolutely blew my mind and I'm so grateful for that experience. And so I came back and was like, okay, I'm going to become a midwife. And being from Iowa, that meant becoming a nurse midwife because up until only like literally, I think May 1st this year, 2023, uh, non-nurse midwifery was illegal Meaning you could go to jail for practicing medicine without a license. And I know a midwife who did go to jail. Um, so it wasn't really in my, I just was like, oh, so you so you become a nurse midwife. So um finished my BA and then got an RN. And uh, you know, in that process of becoming an RN, had to spend a lot of time in the hospital. And I was just like, this is terrible. Like my first births were in the water with like flower petals and then like so much regard for the placenta and like a ceremony with the placenta and just burning the cord which now is like I'm seeing more people do that on Instagram now but it was like that's just like what they did you know uh there is a normal practice um and so yeah I was like pretty horrified by modern American birth and wanted nothing to do with it and thankfully, um, I didn't get a job anywhere because, again, it was 2008 and there were just like no jobs. And so I volunteered at Holy Family in Westlaco, Texas, right on the border in the Rio Grande Valley um, along Mexico. And that was really cool. I lived there. I was the only one living there. So they would knock on the people would come knock on the door. And often they were coming across the border and they would be like, basically like, we're in labor. <laughs> and so I'd have to call the midwife, and uh, it was it was really fun and interesting, and um,
0: then I got my job in New
1: Mexico, and how actually- How many,
0: by the way, how many births do they do there a month at that birth center oh on the border?
1: Gosh, that's a good question. It's gone through a lot of ebbs and flows. When you were uh, there. So when I was there, it wasn't definitely not like, I feel like, you know, how it is a birth, it's like maybe there'd be like a few a week, but then there might not be one for a week. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was like, maybe there was like six a month, something
0: like that. Oh, okay. Not crazy. Could it yeah. could be six to 10. I don't know. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like 50. No, not at okay. all. It was going
1: okay. really through a hard time at the time. And in fact, when I left, when I was there, the director was ousted.
0: And so then actually
1: I got to meet some other really like cool midwives who came in to help kind of patch up, um, the time because there was no there was no nurse midwife because there was, there, that was actually a big drama. She got ousted for just financial scandals and things. So, um, but then I got to meet a lot of midwives and um, eventually they did like build up their program again. And now I think they're, they're doing a lot more births. Um, so yeah, it wasn't super busy, which gave me time to work on my Spanish and, and just like learn a ton. Um, so that was really fun. And then I went to New Mexico and worked in Española, which is a tiny town. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of general practitioners catching babies and I worked the night shifts. So I caught babies because people might be asleep 45 minutes away in the mountains and not get there. So that was really fun. But I knew it wasn't. And and they just were definitely not so medical. Like we didn't have, you know, an anesthesiologist on staff to make epidurals and C-sections super um quick and easy. So therefore they just weren't implemented as much. Um, but it was still just like, this is too much. Like I remember just yeah, being horrified by some some of the things that now I'm like, oh, now that I've worked in university settings, I'm just like, okay, they were like actually really good.
0: <laughs>
1: but, it's, all, um, it's all
0: a matter of perspective.
1: It is. And yeah. So I've seen, you know, home birth, uh birth center birth very small hospital and then like very large hospital scale and it's it's interesting how how things shift the more you're exposed to for sure um but then i was like all right i've done my year you know i've just felt like i needed to like check check the box and like have my first nursing job for a year and uh i had an opportunity to go to Haiti and work for mother health international which was actually they Started it, or Robin Lim helped start it. So that was just like an interesting coincidence. But it was a birth center that's kind of like come and gone, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, yeah, it. I think it came came up after the earthquake, and then I was there a year after the earthquake. And so um, yeah, that was another good experience where it's like you're living at the birth center. People, you're just on twenty four seven people coming, and I I can't remember how many births we did there either. Definitely more than 10 a month because I was able to do the PEP process to, um, not like completely complete it, but do the births that I needed to do the CPM, um, PEP process. So I got like my 40 births. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of like, at least there was like a few a week probably. And that really, really solidified my trust in natural birth because we had no Pitocin. We had no well, maybe we had pitocin, never once used it. I don't think. Uh we didn't have side attack. We didn't have oxygen.
0: The hospital had like
1: business hours. So we couldn't really transfer somebody at like midnight. You know, it was just like better figure it out. Um <laughs> we had to resuscitate a couple babies, but like every like um yeah everything went smoothly except for the one baby we had that had like severe genetic issues. So it did not survive, but it was also like, okay, well, yeah, it had problems that were not compatible with life. So it was so empowering to just see what's possible completely outside of the medical system <laughs> and without any support from the medical system. I mean, we also did zero blood work and had no ultrasound capacity. So sometimes we would, somebody would come to us and they're like, yeah, I'm like 13 months pregnant. And we're like, "Hmm. (laughs) I don't know what that means, you know, or, um, there were like very few occasions where we're like, could you get to the city to get an ultrasound so we can just understand what's going on here. (laughs) So that happened like very rarely, but we've literally had no idea if somebody had HIV or anything and, you know, pros and cons to that. But it just made me, it just bolstered my, um, Trust in birth and women's bodies so
0: much. I mean, and you know, like there's like no formula.
1: So it's just like you're going to breastfeed or the community is going to help you figure that out. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. so that was- Did you ever have any surprise twins?
1: We didn't know surprise twins. No. Um, okay. Good question. I don't even think we ever even had a breach, but tons of babies born in the call. Like I just laugh. And I'm sure most midwives do when they're like, you know you'll see something about being born in the call being rare and i'm like no like it's not rare no you don't breathe water
0: <laughs> the birth i had this morning was born in the call
1: oh awesome yeah oh, fine.
0: and it's a really good sign you know it's always been a good sign and uh the first birth of my practice here in Vero was the baby was born in the call and oh. today was um the first birth of my students practice like she just finished her last birth needed to through midwifery school yesterday and this baby was born in the cost i'm like this is a good sign for the rest of your career it's gonna be great oh
1: that's so good that's awesome
0: yeah
1: i love that yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else like unusual i don't i don't don't know maybe something will come to me but just uh yeah we didn't have any miraculously did not have any breach or twin surprises despite uh not having ultrasound, but not really. Like we know how our, you know, midwives know how to use their hands. And that's something that certainly I learned so well working in those birth centers because we also didn't have a Doppler or we did, but it was like, who knows where, like, does it even have batteries? I don't know. We just use fetoscopes and, um, just very like
0: old school midwifery Mm -hmm. technology. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So where'd you go after that?
1: Then, uh, so then I came back to Iowa and did just like whatever I had to do, like you have to like get checked off by an arm preceptor to then be able to take tests. So um, I kind of went through all those formalities and became a CPM in 2011, but I was still living in Iowa where it was like illegal. And so I, thankfully there's a wonderful nurse, there was at the time, she's not there anymore, but a uh, wonderful nurse midwife who did home births, which was very rare in Iowa because it's, it's weird. Like actually the laws for nurse practitioners, which a nurse midwife, you know, fits into that, um, are great in Iowa. Like you're completely free. You don't have to have any kind of collaboration with a doctor or any kind of babysitting for a year or something, which is what they did in Vermont and in Texas, of course, it's like way more. And then, and other States are way worse than that, but, um, Yeah. So she did her own thing and it was amazing. And then so like, I worked under her. So I felt safe because I was, I was getting to do home births. This was starting in 2012, but I wasn't, uh, I felt kind of protected, but I didn't, I, you know, I wanted to keep growing as a midwife. So I, uh, went to, so I did that for a couple of years, I guess. And I would fill in working uh, labor and delivery at the University of Iowa, just like fill in shifts, like four hours here, eight hours there. I've refused to work 12 hour shifts for like a long time, basically. But um uh yeah, I basically like burned out my adrenals and thyroid though by doing the birth work and having a kid. So in 2012, my son was born. And uh yeah, you know, I'd be like up all night at the birth, up all day with him, and then he sucked at sleep. So I would also be up all night with him. And I just lost you know lost my sanity and health really and that was that was the reason to go to midwifery school because i was like i need to have an option to not do birth work even though i love it and it's absolutely what i got into midwifery for um so we started the philadelphia university program which is now jefferson university they merged with another small philadelphia university um And that's just because that's where my, well, actually my, uh, the midwife I worked under, she had gone to frontier and got kicked out because you weren't allowed to like practice as a midwife. I don't know if that's still true, but at the time she was just like, well, I need to like feed my family. so (laughs) She was like working a lot with Amish families and, uh, the story is she got kicked out and went to, uh, Philadelphia university and liked it better anyway. So I was like, cool. Thanks for doing that research for me. I will go to Philadelphia university. And ultimately I had to leave the state because there was like nobody with high enough volume that I could work with. Um, Even though the University of Iowa had midwives, they were contracted to work with the medical students, which is something I hear a lot. And it's such bullshit, even though I'm glad the midwives are teaching the residents because they need to (laughs) understand what like real delayed cord clamping is. Like at the University of Iowa, I slapped a resident's hand once because he like let it pulse. For like one second. And I'm like, that's that's really like get your hands away from me. Yeah. Um, I'm glad there are midwives there, but it, it's just like it sucks how hard it is to find a preceptor. So we moved to San Antonio, Texas. And even there, even there it was really hard. So I ended up still driving over an hour to go to both Austin and Kerrville, Texas, um, where I was able to have a preceptor and a birth center in Austin and then a small hospital in Kerrville which was a really cool hospital. Like they started doing nitrous before, you know, anybody. And, um, yeah, that, so that was a good experience, but it took me a long time just because of the roadblocks that so many people, you know, run into of not being able to find a preceptor. And then I had, I started when my son was seven months old actually. So, you know, I took summers off and, uh, and I was struggling with insomnia and <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> and I along the way too. So, you know, then there's that. Um, so yeah, I graduated in 2016. And by then I was so burnt out on birth work. Like, oh my gosh, it was just like, you know, and like I said, I've gotten divorced, like just so much stress that I feel like could have been mitigated if I was sleeping well at night. (laughs) And some midwives just have a constitution for it. Like I have plenty of midwife friends who are like, oh, it's no problem for me. I can just like catch up on sleep or whatever. I'm just like way too hypervigilant and just like for, for that, like I just you know I can't sleep on call. If people are even like considering going into labor, I'm just like wired and can't sleep. So it's just not the best professional fit for me to be on call all the time. Uh so then I worked at Planned Parenthood for a well full time for a year, and that was really fun because um just they're very evidence based um which is not the case in most of San Antonio. That was part of my. <laughs> But South Texas, San Antonio, um, being part of that, but certainly the Rio Grande Valley, where I was in the um, birth center, it's just like the friggin' wild west. Like the doctors are horrible. They have really high C-section rates and it's very old school, even still, just like you lay on your back and we're going to extract this baby from you and just like, don't complain. Don't ask too many questions. And yeah, some of the places are better than others. and But it's just like, it's just been shitty for so long that it's just... <laughs>
0: I found a lot of that going on in Miami too. And I think that it's, you know, a lot of like anti-migrant sentiment. I may be not even conscious, but it's like, okay, well, these are immigrant women. They're not going to complain to anybody. I can do with them what I want. You know? I'm
1: sure that's true. Poor I, immigrant so women. Thought. That's what
0: I saw in Miami. High C-section rates, a lot of birth trauma.
1: I mean, I'm sure that's true, but I was also seeing it even in, like, I was a- I Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Like I was a prenatal uh, yoga instructor as well, starting when my son was a baby. And so I was doing that in San Antonio and I had some private clients and some of them would ask me to be their doula and, um, you know, super rich woman had all the resources. And to me had like a horrible, <laughs> you know, even though I was there, like her one goal, she's like, Oh, I'm going to get an epidural. My one goal is to not get Pitocin. So it was just like, I helped her labor at home long enough to then get to the hospital at five centimeters and she shouldn't, it was like their baby, she did not need it, but they were just like, Hey, we're going to just speed this up a little bit, you know, just get this going. And, uh, you know, just the same old crap of just like, you know, hands all up in your vagina, stretching it out and just stuff that I'm just like, Jesus, that's unnecessary. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So it, I think it's like a patriarchal machismo thing too, even though. Even though it it's, you know, half OBGYN, half the women, half the OBGYNs are women at this point. It's still that, like, I am above you uh,
0: mentality. and like You I'm, should do like, what I say. I know more yeah. than you. You do what I say.
1: Yeah, it was just particularly bad there. And I had come from the University of Iowa where it was great, actually. Like, the residents were really cool. They called all the shots. You know, they, we were on a first-name basis with them as the nurses. Versus in Texas, it was like, yes, doctor, so-and-so. And like, you know, just very, uh, just much more patriarchal and
0: formal. And um, I don't know, just, yeah. yes. <laughs> so so tell, yeah, me about, you know. tell me about your uh, practice now that you're doing.
1: Okay, sure. Functional yeah. medicine. Um, yeah. So I guess just, uh, there was just no way I was going to work in the San Antonio uh, birth scene, at least in 2017, I do think it's gotten better. So I worked at Planned Parenthood for a year, but I ultimately really missed doing more like holistic stuff. Like I was basically just like birth control and antibiotics for all, you know, and Hey, I learned a lot, just like talking to people with really different lives, you know, like burning genital warts off of a guy that got off of jail and just asking him questions about life. And I loved that. And I was more like, I just want to like talk about herbs too. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, into early 2018, I think, yeah, so it was, like, a full year, full-time up in my own head, and then I just, um, built in shifts, just PRN, and I started my business, and thankfully, I was able to work at a clinic, which helped so much, it was called the Center for Complementary Medicine, doesn't exist anymore, um, but it was around for, like, 40 years or something, it kind of, the, the guy who started it was older, and he just, you know, retired during COVID, but, um, yeah, that was a great opportunity because I was working with, you know, like they knew all of the best lab companies. They knew like they already had a bunch of protocols that I could plug into instead of having to reinvent the wheel. And um, having just been really interested in natural health and just nerding out on, you know, all the things, and fry, of and like anything that was available um from like let's see, 2006 on. Um I just, I was able to kind of plug in without doing a uh, functional medicine program, which I had curiosity in, but I was like pretty broke being a single mom. And also I had a friend who did start down the like IMF or whatever, the functional, there's a couple different schools, you know, programs you can go to, to become like a certified functional medicine practitioner. But one of my friends had blown out to the west coast and she was doing like the track for the you know functional medicine program and she was like it starts out with you should poop every day and she was like I just cannot like I cannot waste my money and time with this like I you know and doctors were like you should you have you have to poop every day (laughs) you know she was just like I can't start there like I cannot waste my time and money on this like I'm already talking about how does testosterone aromatase into estrogen. I'm not going back to you should poop every day. So I was just like, well, thank you for saving me thousands of dollars. And a lot of time, I'm not even going to bother going into one of those programs. So I really just kind of like, um, you know, read a lot and done some individual programs, um, just based on whatever was coming up for my patients or whatever I was interested in. So, um, like for example, I'm a certified mold practitioner because we dealt with mold in our house and I realized how important that was. So I did Dr. Jill Krista's mold program and I've just done like some things like that. But, um, yeah, I started out just kind of trying to get people to realize there was an option aside from sitting in a waiting room for 20 minutes and then having an MA barely look at you as they took your blood pressure and weight. And then you spent like five minutes naked on a table with the doctor that Pretty much all they did was rule out that you did not have cervical cancer and I'm like that's your women's health care. <laughs> and so I you know started out doing like 90 minute to two hour intakes and visits with people um, to help them uh, just have more optimal health. Yeah, I um, I didn't exactly mean to get back into home birth but people just would call me and I ended up doing like five births a year, not a month for a few years. Until we moved to Vermont, where there's just tons of mud, you know, mud rural roads, bad cell phone reception, and a tiny population. And I was just like, I I am just gonna see how this telehealth thing goes. So I have been for two years able to just keep doing really specialized consults with people. So I get calls all the time, like, I just need to pop smear. And I'm like, great, here's my friend's phone number who's a midwife who happens to also do pap smears. And now I'm focusing more on like you know, just real specialized issues. Like I'm 40 and I'm trying to get pregnant or I have horrendous like murderous periods or my thyroid's a problem, my weight, autoimmune issues. Um, so really diving deep into those and still spending oftentimes an hour and a half with people. Um, and then not really doing, well, I did assist a midwife in March at a birth home, birth, but I'm kind of like Trying to give myself a break from that uh, until I don't know. I'm a grandma and I don't have kids in the house. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I can do that.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard when you get those invites. Like, yeah, I'll help you out. Um, so, who all can come to you and currently in your practices that you have? I know that you work at Midwife Rx. So, you're seeing people there from Vermont and Texas, anyone who needs a prescription. Who are you seeing for your functional medicine practice?
1: So theoretically, I'm licensed in Vermont and Texas, so I think I'm only supposed to see Vermont and like you know Vermont and Texas clients, but I do get the the random California patient that I'm like, oh, okay, like it's I don't do insurance." So I kind of feel like it feels less uh, shady or just I don't know it's it's hard when you see people on Instagram doing consults for like whatever. I'm just like, "Oh, come on. I'm like super I'm very well qualified. I should be able to talk to this human being and help her. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: So mm, definitely mostly Texas people but I am open to other people if they're really interested in working with me um and you know what the therapists do
0: what the therapists when they want to go national they start calling themselves a life coach
1: right yeah so that's, so you should just
0: call yourself a life coach for yeah, functional I'm, functional I'm a, stuff
1: yes I'm a lady I'm a lady life coach
0: <laughs> yeah women's health life coach <laughs> And Um, I should
1: say like, I, I work with people who were born women, so I work with, uh, yeah, I have had some trans male clients, so people Mm -hmm. identifying as male, but still having uteruses they need to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't, because testosterone is a prescribed or a control, control, I can't prescribe that, uh, through telehealth. Um, and I don't bother to maintain the $800 every other year DEA. Um, (laughs) So, and I, um, I just haven't had any inquiries for any trans women, but I suppose I'd be open to that too, but it's usually, you know, it's, it's people who are dealing with specific issues, mostly like thyroid or like autoimmune stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm cash pay. So I'm just like a one woman show. So I don't really deal with insurance. So it's kind of like, Hey, I'll talk to anybody if they want to pay my rates. Yeah. Um,
0: And, uh, how can they find
1: you? Uh, @functionalmidwifery.us is my website.
0: functionalmidwifery.us. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that uh, you're you're waiting on a baby yourself right now, right?
1: Yeah, I'm 34 preg- weeks pregnant. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, cuz the last I saw you was November. How has everything been going since then?
1: It's good. It's, you know, it's funny I like I have a 11-year-old and then I was a surrogate in between those two and it's just like, wow, yeah, every Five years or so I'm having a baby apparently, and it does get harder. <laughs> I not and I don't know if that's just being a little older or if that's just like the the tension, like the ligaments being that much more stretched you know, stress. Mm-hmm. How so old that, are
0: you? How old are you currently? 38. 38. And do you have your birth plan figured out? What you, what do you do? Yeah,
1: doing? I do have a home birth midwife. Um, Vermont makes it really easy. Their laws are amazing. So I'm just like, like I would consider free birthing, but I'm like, yeah, why not have somebody to, you know, do my birth certificate? And just, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think, am I bleeding too much? Does this kid look kind of funny? Like I want somebody else to do that, but I am being a little laissez-faire with prenatal care. I'm just like, I was just emailing with her today. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. This is what I'm doing. Trying to eat more liver, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, do you yeah.
0: do labs on yourself? Yeah. Of <laughs> course. Like
1: I order, cause I want to order cool stuff that, you know, the insurance isn't going to pay for. So I'm just like, let me just, you know, I use Rupa and Vibrant America and like these different lab companies that, uh, yeah, it's just going to be cash pay anyways. So let me just, not have to schedule with anybody and I'll just deal with it okay <laughs> so exactly I just got some new labs in and I was like oh here you go um so I think I'm in a way an easy client but in a way I'm also like you know I think uh, we can be hard to as midwives lots of questions I'm like what do you think about this random thing <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: well we come into it with all of our own ideas and everything and I remember at my birth. Um, the bleeding was a little on the heavy side for me. So with that amount of bleeding that I had, I would have given myself a shot of Pitocin or something. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm telling, talking to my midwife who's more senior than I am. And I'm like, uh, look at all this bleeding. Should we be doing something? And she's like, you're fine. Stop stop being a midwife.
1: Yeah. That's, kind of funny but I would have been a little unnerved I suppose but that's I've kind of gotten some of that too I had a miscarriage last year and I had a different midwife and they were kind of like you don't need to you don't want to do like any of the testing right and I was like no I'll do the testing like (laughs) I'll I'll take all the information like I'm not opposed to the information I'll do whatever the hell I want to with the information but uh I'll take the information like I feel like they were trying to be cool like um you don't have to do whatever you don't want to do and I'm like Oh, thanks. No, I'll actually do like the standard testing.
0: (laughs) Give me the test. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's something I do appreciate about midwifery care is how individualized it can be, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's the approach that I take with my clients, you know, while trying to keep everyone safe, there's a lot of different options. So it's all about what do you want to do at this point in time? You know, we're 41 weeks, Mm -hmm. you're cool. You want to keep waiting, you know, everything's looking good. No, you want to do some castor oil, nudge things. Like it's, it's really about what, what path do they want to go down there? And I'm there walking with them, you know?
1: Yeah. And just providing information that's not coercive, you know, but I mean, for me, like as a midwife, I feel like I'm going to do a lot of research. I already have a lot of research behind me. So I'm going to pick the midwife that's going to let me be the most free. Mm -hmm. So with the surrogate pregnancy in 2019, my water was broken for six days (laughs) like a whole other story but it's like oh I'm so glad I picked the midwife that was like every day just like ch- just you know checking and asking the same questions I am like is the water clear uh you know how are the heart tones do you have a fever and like everything's good okay let's just okay we can just keep saying how this goes um so yeah I think uh obviously finding that right mix of provider is really important. But I've talked to some women who are, who have told me like, oh, my good wife was like not pushy enough. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So yeah, yeah. That's like everybody has to find the right, the right
0: fit. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on here today and uh, sure. you give us some good information. I know probably a lot of people could use your services. Um, are you planning on taking time off for maternity leave? For sure.
1: Yeah. I'm a big believer in like the 40 days, like just you need to just chill out. That said, I will probably just take a couple of weeks off of midwife (laughs) RX. Because it's so it is pretty minimal. And people, there's I'm the only one in Texas providing that service for Texas midwife clients. So it's like, okay, if somebody needs antibiotics for UTI, I do want
0: to be available, but certainly I will protect that time immediately around the birth for sure. Uh Well, blessings and love, and keep post- keep me posted. And I'm here if you need anything.
1: Thank you. I love you. Love you too.
0: <laughs> okay, have a great birth. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.